Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. And here's what we're talking about if you weren't here, because I won't recap the whole thing. Um, What do you do to ensure that next time is not like last time? Meaning for all of us in life, there's going to be a point in time where we got to start over. And it doesn't mean like you've been a failure at life. It just means there's going to be a period in time where you got to hit the restart button. It could be relationally. It could be financially. It could be in regard to your health. It could be a new career. You're moving to a new city. But you just have to start over. And a lot of times what ends up happening inadvertently is we repeat a lot of the mistakes next time that we did the last time. So how do you ensure that you don't end up in that place? Because here's what we looked at last week. You have an enemy that cannot take your life, but his sole desire and purpose is to sabotage it and to keep you into patterns of thinking and into cycles to where you just keep doing the same stuff over and over again. And this relationship is looking a lot like the last relationship. So the big question we're asking is, how do you avoid that? Like, how do you keep the enemy from playing you? And if you are in a start over experience right now where you're kind of moving back into something after a period of time and and maybe you were hurt before, maybe you were let down before, how do you ensure that this next time doesn't look like what happened the last time? Now, here's what we're gonna look at for the next three weeks that I think are so important as we talk about this topic. And it's just these three things. When you consider your past, So you're walking out of something relationally, financially, um, new semester, you were let down and now you've got to, you know, got to find your way into a new neighborhood, whatever it is. How do you, how do you cope with that in terms of dealing with your past? And I think there's three things if we're going to deal with our past and move forward into our future. And they're simply this, you got to own it, you got to rethink it, and you got to release it. You got to own it. And I really, because I wanted to go old school pastor, I wanted all these to rhyme and start with the same letter, but I couldn't, but you got to own it. You got to rethink it and you got to release it. And today what I want to talk about for a couple minutes is own it. At some point along the way, you got to own what has happened in your past. At some point along the way, you you have to own your history. And you have to own your history so that you can move into your future. But come on, all of us know that intellectually. Like you could maybe preach this message and you don't even believe in the Jesus thing. But you're like, I could do this. But we know that, but it's very difficult to do. And the reason it's difficult to do, because this is just human nature. So if you don't believe the Jesus thing and you're listening via unfiltered radio or podcast or you're in the house today, we just don't like to admit anything is our fault. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. So we were um, in the car the other day, and I was trying to think of an example for myself, and I couldn't think of one. Uh, So I thought I went for my wife and we were in the car the other day and we were driving. Actually, I think this was last week. We may have been coming home from church. I can't remember. And so we have a four month old um, who's our youngest of four. His name is Case. He's four months old. And so we have to have that bag that we carry everywhere with us. And um, just ignore this is in process. I'm going to write on this later. It's going to be amazing. Um, So we have uh, we have this little bag we carry with us. And it's like, a you know, it's kind of like a glorified purse, but it's cool enough where I can 
I can carry it. And so we have to put all this stuff for this baby um, in there and we have to access it all the time. Give these guys a hand for helping us out real quick. Um, so Nicole needs it with her at all times. So we're in the car and she's told me um, about 10 to 12 to 15 times, like you can't put it in the trunk. It's got to go right behind my seat because there's emergencies that happen. I got to plug a bottle in Case's mouth or I got to do whatever. And I just keep not listening. And so we're driving and she just kind of like, I don't have to say she loses it, but she's like, how many times have I told you? And if you don't know her, that is, that is uncanny impersonation right there. How many times I told you, you cannot put the diaper bag in the back. I need it right. And she you know, begins to give me instructions and hand motions and treat me like a little child. And like, it goes right here. I've told you so many times. Now I got to feed Case and my stuff is not here. My bottle's not I've literally, I've told you like 12 times. And, um, and then she like, she did something. She figured, she found something back there she could help Case. And then she just dropped it. And when she just dropped it, I'm like, I know you're an amazing woman, and, but something's fishy about the fact that you just dropped that. <laughs> and you didn't keep going on with it. And then a little bit later, I'm driving, and so I kind of look, and as I look in my periphery, I see the bag. <laughs> right where I put the bag. But she can make me believe that I don't know what I'm doing. And so I just took it. I'm like, no, you're right. I'm an idiot. I didn't put it. But I did. I put it right there. And so then I just called her on it. I waited for a while because it's like, is she going to tell me? Is she going to maybe apologize to me? Like she got all in my face and the bag is right there. And she didn't. And so after a while, I'm just like, hey, <laughs> I see the bag behind your seat. It's right there. Do you have something to tell me? So I was like, just say it. I'm sorry. So I got an apology and slept on the couch. But so that's my, that's my story. But it is so difficult, even in that circumstance, and I'm, I'm making fun. My wife is amazing. Our marriage is great. I just feel like I need to say that sometimes because I'll get concerned emails. It really is great. Uh, and we make fun of each other a lot. But that's a true story. And even in that case, like she knew it was her fault but even on their side, you're like, I don't know if I want to tell them that because it's just difficult to handle any of the blame for anything. But that's really true in circumstances that are much more significant than what I'm talking about. Like where you walk out of something and it's just easy to come up with your story that's mostly their fault. It's maybe a little your fault. And you're like, yeah, 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 I did whatever. I would. But they're an idiot. The industry is crazy. If you just knew. And we just tell our story over and over and over again. And we don't really ever own what happened in our past or our part in that. And I'm just telling you, if your future is ever going to be different, you got to own your share of the past. And there's a lot of stories where some things have happened to us. And I'm not negating or dismissing those things. But even in those circumstances, in every circumstance, there is something for you to own. There, there is something that you have to take a look at. And your best chance at a better future is to own your share of the past. But we don't want to do that. We want to blame. And here's the thing I would tell you. That's not really our fault. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden where blame was just entwined into our DNA and we've been doing it ever since. You know what I'm talking about? So the story of Adam and Eve, I know some of you, because we reach a lot of skeptics, people here today who are investigating, so you're like, are you serious? You're about to tell a story from Genesis 
and Adam and Eve, and I'm going to lose all respect for you. And I get that. So, but just hang on for a second. Here's why, just real f- fast, this is my little apologetical argument, and then I'll move on for Genesis, because I know there's a lot of questions, and some of you grew up in a Sunday school environment, and then you met a freshman English professor. They took the legs out from under all of your faith, and they were the smartest person in the world and negated everything else that you'd ever been told. And so now Genesis is just fairy tale, and I get that, I understand that. But here's why we believe in Genesis. We don't believe Genesis because it's in the Bible. That's what your Sunday school teacher told you. That's kind of a straw man's argument. We believe in Genesis because Jesus referenced Genesis. And the foundation and the heart of our faith is a person and his name is Jesus. Now, why do we take Jesus seriously? Because Jesus over and over again predicted that he was gonna die and then come back to life and he pulled it off. He died and then he came back to life. And in fact, and if you're a skeptic, I'm serious about this. You should just study this before you study anything else. Don't start in Genesis. Start with the life of Jesus because I think the historical evidence that Jesus rose from the grave is overwhelming and almost undeniable even among secular thinkers. And so we take Jesus seriously because Jesus rose from the grave. So you just always have to go with the guy who came back to life. That's just a rule for life. Not sure all the questions, don't know about Genesis. You came back to life, I'm going with you, right? Like that trumps everything else. So that's why we take Genesis seriously and Jesus referenced Genesis as legitimate and we take Jesus seriously because Jesus rose from the grave. Does that make sense? So, but here's the thing, there are seeming contradictions sometimes, but I just wanna tell you this because this is so important to me. Psychology, sociology, you know, philosophy, science, none of it is an enemy to our faith. And none of it is an enemy or at odds with following Jesus. And some of you, that's what you grew up with because we have conversations all the time and you think that you had to choose between intellectual honesty and following Jesus and nothing could be further from the truth. We believe that all truth originates with God. So where you find truth, you find God. I could talk about that all day long, but I just wanna say this, it is not at odds. So when you see a seeming contradiction, say with science and the scripture, usually one of two things is happening. Number one, church people get all freaked out because they have been given this artificial like competition that's not there. And a lot of cases they just need to embrace science because science will give evidence or explanation to how God did something. So when you see something new that's been discovered, church people start freaking out because they've grown up with this myth or this ideology when they don't need to be afraid at all. All truth originates with God. And so a lot of scientific discovery is just, oh, that's how God did it. That's how God created that. That's how God made that happen. Now, here's the second thing. Either that's the case or where there's a seeming contradiction, one other thing happens. And that's just that science needs to catch up with the scriptures. And every once in a while, that's the case. I'll give you one example as it relates to Genesis, just because I think it's fascinating, that not that many years ago, I don't know how many it was. It was a minute, but it was, it was a, I don't know how long ago it was. Um, uh, sociologically, biologically, they came up with this study that previously they didn't have this information, and they discovered that our genetic DNA was 99.9% similar among the human race across all races, that our genetic DNA was identical 99.9% across all races, meaning, i.e., there was a single point of origin. This is a scientific study. I.e., we, we came from one person or one man. I think his name was Adam. 
Like, I think that's Genesis 1, bro. I think science, like, literally just, yeah, 99.9%, there's a single point of origin. It all started, and the guy's name is Adam. So every once in a while, science, most of the time, reveals how God did it. But then every once in a while, science has to catch up with God, what God has already revealed in the Scriptures thousands and thousands of years ago. But my whole point is this. If you walked away because you thought science wasn't compatible with faith, you can come back. Because nothing could be further from the truth. It is an intellectual faith and God is the originator of all truth and church people need to stop freaking out about that. So all that to say, if you even take Genesis like, I still don't believe it, that's fine. I wanna say this, you can still follow Jesus and have questions or don't believe Genesis. We can get there and God can work through all that. The epicenter of our faith is Jesus. And did he die and come back to life? So I spent way too much time on that, but I love to, to talk with some of you who are skeptical. So I just wanna tell you this. So if you don't believe it, here's what you should look at if you read Genesis. There is so much brilliance about human insight that you should just read whatever that author wrote because it'll just help you. So Genesis goes down like this. Here's the story. You guys still with me at the 930? God created man. In his own image, there's so much in this. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them in verse 28, and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, this is crazy. When God had everything in creation just the way he wanted it, this gives you insight into the nature of God. Just had one rule. That's all I need, one rule. This is before sin infested the world, one rule. And the rule was not like, well, I just, I'm gonna just kind of get these people. The rule was, I, I want people that are not after or following me because of begrudging submission. I want them to willfully want relationship with me. And so he put this one rule to not eat of the tree in the garden. You probably know about that because I want to prove to them that submission and surrender to God is a good thing. I want a relationship based on trust because that's the heart of every great relationship. That's the reason why God did it. I want you to follow me, not because you have to, but because you can. And I wanna to prove to you that if you will, what I'm offering you and what I'm inviting you into, it's better than anything you're gonna find on your own. It's crazy. The way that God got all of this started should give you insight into the character of God. He creates a utopian environment. Everything was perfect, creates animals, creates food, creates man, creates woman, completely naked in the garden, says, have sex. I'm, I'm manufacturing that. I'm giving that to you. I don't have to. Procreation could have looked different. It could just, you snapped your fingers. I decided to create sex. I didn't create it just for procreation. I created it for pleasure. That's why there's orgasms. We get really nervous about talking about that in church. God created it. We can talk about that. He created sunsets. He created Tex-Mex. He created good wine. He created all the beauty that you see in creation. He created art, entrepreneurial desires to grow and build things. God put that in our heart. And here's why he did all of that. So that we would see those things. We would encounter those things. We would come in contact with those things. In those moments where we go, man, that is good. It would lead us to go, God is good. God did that. God created that. God manufactured. He could have done it any way he wanted to, but this is from God. 
See, this is why I think there is a depth of worship and just living life when you're following Jesus that you don't get anywhere else. You're with good friends, having good drink and good food, or you're making love to your wife, or you're watching a sunset on your beach, or you have that perfect day where everything just seems so right. And it's more than just, oh, that was a good day. Something happens in your heart when you know the origins of that that leads you to worship to go, no, 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 it's better than just a good day. This is the mark of the imprint of the image of God on me. God gave this to me, God created it. And now sin has infested the world. So everything's not perfect, but one day I'm going back to that place. And this is a little taste of eternity in heaven that my soul longs for. And I'm just telling you, when you live life recognizing God's hand in every good thing, you just live your life at a different level. And it's a life full of worship where you realize there's no unspiritual thing. It's all spiritual. It's all from the hand of God. And it leads you to go, God, I want to surrender my life to you. Does that make sense? But they did what we did and they had trouble believing that. And so they broke the one rule and sin infested the garden and all of planet earth. And if you don't believe in sin, here's the one thing I would say. Like, I think there's moments where you stared up at the ceiling and you haven't kept your own standards for your own life. And you know, like, man, I, I, maybe I'm in comparison to somebody else, but I know that everything is not all right with me. And we believe that started in the Garden of Eden where sin entered the world and it jacked up everything. So Genesis 2, 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord because this is after they had sinned, ate of the tree, and now there's this acknowledgement that something's not right. And the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And you know this, right? But this is, when we sin, when we're guilty, and when we're ashamed, we hide. That's just human nature. And it started right here in this moment. When we're guilty and when we feel shame, we hide. And we may not hide physically, but we hide. And a lot of times we try to hide from God. Like you stop going to church, you stop praying. You kind of create this, this faux kind of version of yourself, which just seems so odd. Like it's the God of the universe, but we just pretend. It's kind of like my kids playing hide and seek. Like my boy Braxton, I've been trying to teach him. He, he has no aptitude for the game whatsoever. He's incredibly loud, so he can't like walk normal anywhere. And so we'll just like, I'm trying to teach him. He should be old enough where he gets it by now, but he doesn't. So I'll just one, two, okay, buddy, you got to go hide outside of my view. And like, so one, two, okay, buddy, it's eight, nine. I still hear you right in front of me, nine, 10. And then I open my eyes and he's just like in a fetal position right in front of me. I'm like, Braxton, you are right in front of me. Like, I see you. You got to hide better than that. And I think like that's our approach to God. Like we're, we get in these places where we're, there's shame and there's guilt. And in essence, he's going, you're in a fetal position two feet in front of me. Like I see you, I'm looking at you with my eye. Like, why are you trying to hide from me? But, but the natural position is to just hide. And then a lot of times we wait till we get caught and then we're just, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it, my bad. And there Adam and Eve are in the garden and they go into hiding like all of us do. But verse 10 or verse nine, but the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? Where are you? Just real quick and we'll move on. Because I want some of you to hear me say this today. I don't care how long you've run, what you've run from, what you've kept from other people, the secrets that you're carrying today. Inevitably, there's a lot represented in this room and outside this room. But no matter what that past looks like, you have a God that is pursuing you. And you maybe have been rejected by other people around you. 
and they may be holding your past against you, and they may be holding you under this decision that you made 10 years ago, but I'm telling you, you have the unrelenting, unmovable, unconditional love of your heavenly father who says to you, it doesn't matter how far you've run, I'm pursuing you. And the reason that you're listening today or maybe the reason that you're sitting in this row is because you have a God who loves you so much, he's trying to run you down. And he's not trying to run you down to pay you back. He's trying to run you down to win you back. And he is the source of the unconditional love that you're seeking that maybe nobody else will give you. And he is the source of the healing that you want. And if you would move in his direction, to go, I'm not gonna hide any longer. You are going to get his scandalous, reckless, radical love. But I just wanna tell you, the fact that you're here may be that God's trying to lead you out of hiding today and into his love and his grace, and he will stop at nothing to run you down. So God called Adam, where are you? In verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Meaning in the connection here is for the first time I realize shame. For the first time in my life, I'm aware of guilt. So I hid. And I told you, who told you that you were naked? Because, I mean, God knows that anytime you're a part of your greatest regret, there's somebody else involved. In this story, it's not easy to find out because there's only one other woman in the garden. But like, your greatest regret never happens in isolation. So he's like, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you? not to eat from. And then I love this. This is what makes the scripture so powerful and gives so much weight. I love this verse, verse 12, Genesis chapter two, Adam's response. Adam said, yes, I did. And I take full responsibility for my actions. Do with me as you will, but leave Eve out of this. She's innocent. Come on, how would the world have been different if the first dude would have just manned up in that moment and taken responsibility for his actions? If you didn't grow up in church, you're like, I didn't know that verse was in there. That verse is not in there. You should bring your Bibles to church just to reference check me. Go to the CC app. The very first thing, that the very first two people did, when they were guilty, when they were ashamed and when they got caught, was to blame somebody else. The very first thing, the very first story, the very first default, blame somebody else. I mean, Adam immediately is like, it's the girl you gave me. <laughs> it was her. And in fact, here's the actual verse. It's a real verse in the Bible, verse 12. The man says, what he actually said, the woman you put here, with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now, have you ever thought about that verse before? Have you ever thought about the implications of that verse before? Here's in essence what Adam is saying. Hey, I don't really, I'm not culpable in any of this because the woman you put here, i.e., it wasn't my idea. You created her, you put her in the garden 
And she's the one that came with the fruit, so that's on you. And, and she's the one that listened to the serpent and came bringing this fruit to me. So honestly, at the end of the day, like the woman is responsible for her actions because she started all this. And then you made the woman and I didn't ask you to make her. You just decided to make her. And now all this is going. So really, God, all due respect, you need to get with Eve and you guys need to talk this out. And then you need to come back to me and apologize to me. Because I didn't do any of this. Like, here's the thing. The story that Adam starts to tell is true-ish. Like, part of it's true, but it's just not the whole truth. And the moment that Adam starts to tell this story, he starts to hide. And the moment that Adam starts to tell this story, he starts to blame shift. And this is exactly what we do, specifically when we're coming out of something and it's relational, it's financial, it's educationally, we got to start over, we're in a new career, the last one didn't go well, we want to blame it on our bosses, whatever, something's been done to us, whatever it is where we're starting over, we want to come up with a story that's like 90% true. Because the moment you can come up with that story, and it's, it's true, it's 90% true, but a 90% true story, it gets a lot of momentum for you. You can get people to cry over it. You can get people to empathize with you. You can get people to blame the entire industry. They're all idiots. But a 90% true story, man, it gives you a lot it gives you a lot of momentum when you're telling that story. And come on, if specifically you've, if you've been hurt and wronged, your natural inclination is you want to come up with a story that gets other people on your side, right? You want to get other people to believe you. You want to get other people to cheer you on or tell you how bad it is. But come on, if you don't own your part of your history, no matter how little you think it is, ultimately it is going to undermine your future. So verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, same thing. The serpent deceived me. The serpent's fault. Snake's fault. It's my ex's fault. Coworker's fault. Amazon's fault. <laughs> the serpent deceived me and I ate it, which was true, but it wasn't the whole truth. So here's what I want to tell you if you're moving out of something and in into something else, or maybe you're on the verge of a decision right now, is that you have to pause just long enough. And if you've never done this, this is what we talked about last week, where you're connecting experience to making you wiser. Experience by itself does not make you wiser. Evaluate experience does. No better does not equal do better. No better doesn't even equal the self-control or the strength to do better. That you have to pause if you're kind of in a start over moment, specifically if you've been hurt or you've been wronged or there were some things that you did that you wish you could get back. You've got to pause just long enough to own what you need to own about your history. And come on, here's what all of us know, but somebody just needs to say it. You cannot blame your way into a better future. You can blame your way into the future. You, you can... You can circumvent the responsibility into the future. You can keep telling your story into the future. You can get everybody to cry with you into the future. You can get everybody to believe your sad story into the future. You can do all of that, but you cannot blame your way into a better future. We said this last week, and it's just true. It's not that some things haven't been done to you, but you have got a choice. And if you're a Jesus follower, specifically by the power of the Spirit of God that is inside of you, you can live a life victimized or you can have victory, but you cannot ride that fence. And you can't blame your way into a better future. Because blame sets us up ultimately 
for a repeat performance. And what we did last time starts to look exactly like what we're doing this time. The relationship looks eerily familiar. Our issues in the marketplace look, are, are eerily similar. The conflict that we're having, it looks a lot like the conflict that we had seven years ago. The habits that we spent a lot of time and money trying to unwind from that we're going back into seems like a lot of deja vu. So here's what I want to tell you, and we're going to start to wind this plane down, is that in order to have clarity for your present decisions and your future decisions and whether moving forward is the right thing, in order to have clarity, you have got to own your part of your history. Because no matter how small you think it is, when you own any part of your story, the temperature level in your argument starts to go down. You know what I'm talking about? Like you are up here. Every time you tell it, you get a little red in the face. The vein pops out. There is so much energy. There's so much emotion. When you own any of it, the emotion starts to go down just a little bit. You lose your argument just a little bit. It's still like... 85% their fault, but I'm telling you, when you own anything, all of a sudden, it it just does something to the temperature level, to the angst, to the emotion you feel. And when the temperature level of your emotions goes down, guess what happens? You have clarity. There's this incredible verse. Jesus said it this way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Literally, what he's saying is, what Jesus is saying is this, that purity of heart ultimately is going to lead to clarity of thought. And when you do not have purity of heart, you will not have clarity of thought. There are people that you're not going to be able to hear. There's circumstances that you're not going to be able to interpret. There's things that you're not going to be able to process. But when you have purity of heart, meaning, God, I'm surrendering this to you. And as embarrassing and as hard as it is, I'm going to own my part of my past. I'm going to own what I did. I'm going to stop shifting blame, even though I think they're an idiot. I'm going to begin to own up what I actually had a hand in. And that's what it's talking about by purity of heart. God, I want to follow you. I want to live with integrity. I want to be truthful. And when you pursue purity of heart, you have clarity of thought. And for some of you, you are so wrapped up in your emotions. You are so wrapped up in the blame. You are so wrapped up in what they did and managing your argument and your story that the emotion is at such a level that you don't have any clarity and you're not making decisions with any clarity and you're repeating a lot of the same stuff this time that you did last time. But here's the other thing. When you own it, not only do you have clarity, something happens in the relationships around you because here's what you need to know. As long as you're hiding something, as long as you are hiding something, even if the other person doesn't know about it, you're hiding it. As long as you are hiding something, there is a part of you that is unavailable to someone. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because you're, you're carrying a secret or at least you are carrying some things from your past where you've told one story but you know it's not true and you're kind of living with, with a version of you that's not really real and there is somebody in relationship with you or somebody close to you and they can't feel like intimacy um, can move forward. They don't feel like they can get close to you. They feel like there's some kind of roadblock in the relationship and the roadblock in the relationship is you haven't been able to get completely honest. And anytime there is a part of you that is hiding, there's a part of you that is holding back, 
then you are available to somebody else in your life that wants relationship with you. And it's why as you begin to own your past, it doesn't just set you free. In a lot of cases, it sets the people around you free because they're dealing with the shrapnel of your past and they don't even know it, but you've never been honest with them. And so they're dealing with 80% of you and they really wanna be in all right, can you hear me? All right, so here, here's what I wanna do. Here, here's what you need to do. You need to go back and whatever it is that, that you're coming from, whatever it is that maybe you're on the verge of a decision and you've been at this decision before, you've gotta go back and you've gotta decide what you gotta own. And here's what I'll tell you. I used to do this when I would meet with people and it never went well because nobody ever wanted to do it. I have never seen anybody sit down and go, you know what? I know I've been telling this story and what they did and how awful it was to work there, but you know, honestly about that much of it was my fault. Nobody does that, because that's not a good story. Like you can't get any emotion around this, because immediately you kind of put the brakes on things like, okay, but 50% of it was your fault. And then nobody, nobody goes like, well, I think like eh, 25% of it was my fault. Nobody does that either, that's not a good story. Anytime I've asked somebody, hey, I want you to sit down and no matter what it is, I want you to own what happened in your past. Here's what happens every time. Just ignore this right now because I don't feel like erasing it. Here's generally what they're willing to own. Like right there. And you have to really press them for that. Like, okay, is there anything? Did you do anything? Like, is there anything that you had a hand in? Well, I mean, there's the one time. The one, okay, okay, just, just, just own that. Just own that. But I'm just telling you, we don't want to do this. And it doesn't matter what your story is. It is so much easier to just shift blame and keep blaming and fault finding with somebody else. But if you are ever going to be free and move forward into your future, you have got to look back to your past. And in some cases, it's going to be embarrassing. In some cases, it's going to be emotional. In other cases, depending on how badly you've been hurt, there's going to be a lot of just resistance because a lot of old emotions are going to be stirred up. But I'm just telling you, you are not going to be able to move forward into your future until you do the hard work of going back and looking at your past. So I just want to help you real quick, and then we're going to be, get, be done. I just want to ask you a couple questions, just kind of get you thinking. Because I know the story that you've told. And everybody else knows the story that you've told. But what if you were really to go back and look at that to go, okay, if I were to be really honest, I still think it's like 95%, 90% their fault. But I had a feeling that something wasn't right. And I was afraid to really see it. Yeah, 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 most of my story is true. And yes, they did it. And yes, I think they've been an idiot. But if I were just to be really honest, I've never owned this before. I kind of saw this coming. And I kind of knew I should have asked them about it. And I kind of knew that I, I, should have, I, I shouldn't, have, shouldn't have been so naive. And if I were to really be honest, I was afraid of what I would find. And in some ways, I'm kind of culpable with what's happened in this relationship. Or you know what? People I trusted warned me. Yes, it went south. Yes, they wronged me. Yes, the, most of the story that I'm telling is true, but if I were to really be honest and go back, there's some people that warned me and I think I could have avoided it altogether. There was one or two voices that I just wouldn't listen to them. I just wouldn't tune in. And now as I look back at it, I've, I've got to own that. I, I can't keep shifting that blame. Another one is I, I just stayed too long. 
I, I knew that I shouldn't have stayed there. I knew I should have quit. I knew I shouldn't have allowed that. Now I'm unhealthy because they were unhealthy and their unhealthiness have, has rubbed off on me. But I just stayed too long and I enabled. And I've been telling my story and most of my story is true, but I just have to own that that's true. And I have to own my piece of the pie from my past. I was just afraid. I should have confronted, but I was afraid. It was just lust. We had all kinds of reasons and we were gonna save money and I did a spreadsheet and I convinced everybody. But if I were to really, and this is so embarrassing to admit, we did it because it's kind of fueled by lust. And I just need to own that. My pride controlled me and it blinded me and I made some really bad decisions and I wouldn't let it go and I just need to own that. I should have left, but I was just too embarrassed. Or maybe I, I kept myself or kept telling myself that, that I could handle it, that I was gonna be different. That it was gonna work out. And now I've gotta realize that I just believe some lies and what I thought I could handle is now handling me. And I can't pretend any longer. There's a part of this that I have to own in regard to my past. So I just wanna tell you this, we'll get ready to be done. In order for you to have peace with your past, you gotta own your peace of the past. You are never gonna have peace. You are never gonna find contentment. You are never gonna settle into fulfillment until you are willing to go back and do the hard work of owning your peace of your past. And I'm telling you, it's hard, it's embarrassing. It's easier to blame it on your ex. It's easier to blame it on, like I, it, they walked out. It's easier to blame it on all the ways they treated you badly and all of that may be true. But if you for the first time would be willing to go in spite of all of that, this is my part. And I'm gonna own it for the first time. And, and for some of you, the moment you begin to own that is the moment you'll begin to have clarity. So what is it? Some of you right now on the verge of, of something right now where you just know something in your spirit, you just know. You, you have a second marriage that's starting to look a lot like the first. You have a new job that's looking a lot like the last job. There's some habits that you're starting to dabble in and, and you've already been here before and you've never really owned your part in that, you excused it on everything else. You've made some decisions and then it was all about the economy and, and you know. So what, what do you need to own about your past so that your past does not own you? And I'm telling you, your next time can be better than your last time, not because you hope it will be, not because you're praying it will be, but because you've done the hard work to go, I'm gonna own it and I'm not gonna smuggle my issues into my future any longer. I wanna be free. And can I just tell you this last thing and we're gonna be done? This is the beautiful news of the gospel called the good news is that you have a heavenly father who sent his son Jesus on the planet earth that says any moment you want, you can come out of hiding. I know that maybe hasn't been your experience with the church. That maybe hasn't been your experience with other Christians. I know that you, for some of you, almost feel like you've been forced into hiding, but you just need to know today that when you hide, your secrets grow in that hiding place. When you hide, guilt grows in that hiding place. When you hide, shame only gets stronger in that hiding place. And you have a God that came to defeat shame and defeat guilt and defeat the enemy. And when you follow him, those things are not of him. He is not leveraging guilt and shame over you any longer. 
longer. Those were taken care of at the cross so that you would know that he's for you. He died for you. He walked out of a grave alive. And even if they don't love you unconditionally, even if they keep holding this over you, even if you are embarrassed, even if it was 95% your fault, even if you think you are not worthy to start over again, you have a savior that says differently, I came for start overs and begin agains. And you don't have to hide any longer. You don't have to hide in church. You don't have to hide at home. You don't have to hide with other people around you because the only opinion that matters, that validates is your heavenly father that says, I love you. I'm pursuing you. I'm inviting you. Come out of hiding and let me wrap my arms around you and I will restore you and I will lead you forward into a better future regardless of what's been done around you and what you have done to yourself. It's called grace. And I'm inviting you into it. And so today there's some people who just need to come out of hiding and you need to do the hard work of literally sitting down with a pen and a paper or on your iPhone to go, I just need to write down what I need to own. And I'm telling you, when you start to do it, your list is gonna grow and it's gonna be bigger than you think. And God's gonna begin to work in your heart. And you're gonna begin to release some of those things and face them for the first time. And there's gonna be clarity. Because purity of heart leads to clarity of thinking and it sets you up so that your next time is not like last time. I'm telling you, that's what I want for you. But more importantly, that's what your savior wants for you. Would you stand with me all over the house and would you just pray with me in this moment? And if you're watching online or listening via radio, I wanna invite you into this. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word written several thousand years ago that is as relevant as ever. And I just pray right now in this moment that you would just reveal to us exactly what you wanna do in our heart. And I know that it's not easy. This is one of those messages that just kind of gets in our face. It prods us, it bothers us, even annoys us. We'd rather just continue to ignore it and move on. But I just pray right now that we'd get a sense the victory and the freedom that is available to us if, the, if we would do the, the hard work of going back and owning our history in order to set ourselves up for a better future. And so God, give us the courage to come out of hiding knowing that we will never be rejected by you. Help us to own what we need to own. And God, through that process, begin to give us clarity about where we are right now, and where you wanna lead us for our future. And I pray for a bunch of people in this room and outside of this room that, that you would begin to work and their next time would be better than their last time because they've been willing to surrender to you and allow you to do what you wanna do in the deepest recesses of their heart, mind, and soul. So we pray this in the incredible, powerful, life-giving name of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.